Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We continue our look today at women's issues. And we go to a text that is not very often preached. I searched and searched and searched and I can't find in 21 years ever doing it myself. But it's a text that would do well to draw our attention this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, we give you thanks today that your mercy is more. It is more than we could ever ask or think. And Lord, I pray that we would always be on the lookout for where your mercy is that we aren't. Lord, help us to see mercy in its various forms in various places and help us to see places where mercy is needed more and more. Particularly when it is needed by those who are the victims of the abuse of power. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you today as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning presents us with perspectives on how power pierces society, particularly those who are deemed to be powerless, and how the powerless can be empowered to pierce perceived greater powers. We would do well this morning to recognize that one of the chief culprits of when power pierces the lives of the perceived less powerful is when someone makes a decision that has no direct impact on their lives, but has ex 
extraordinarily large impact on the lives of others and that their decision in these instances is done simply to maintain their power or their perceived hold on power. History tells us that this happens often. And I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that this happens very often and is perpetrated very often by men at the expense of women. That is what is going on here in the text. Herod is threatened by the report of the Magi about the birth of the king in Bethlehem. And so he orders the slaughter of the innocents. Verse 13 says, excuse me, verse 16 says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Herod is going to make these mothers cry bitter tears because he thinks that the birth of the Christ child in Bethlehem is going to oust him from his throne. It would be somewhat, I suppose, helpful if we thought that this was the only time that Herod had pulled this trick, but Herod's life is marked by pulling this trick. Herod, if you don't recall, is a Roman appointee who it is believed was not even a Jew. Here he is supposed to be king over Israel and yet he isn't even, history believes, a Jew. He is an Edomian. In other words, he's an Edomite. Herod, upon assuming control by the dictate of Rome, kills all of the privileged descendants of the previous dynasty, the Hasmoneans. If you're familiar with history, it's the ones who come due to the Maccabean revolt. Herod will hear of a plot he believes or perceives to be a plot later on in his wife life and he will kill one of his wives and two of his children because he believes that they are a threat to his reign. He will build massive fortifications across Judea, one of which is the infamous Masada, so that he can always have a quick place to flee to in the event that there is some turmoil or some revolt because he has to remain alive. He has to remain in power. His exercise of power is so great at the expense of those who are perceived powerless 
that he ordered that all political prisoners that were held under his reign were to be killed at his death. Why? So that people would be weeping when he died. Now, I mean, that's a class act, right? Nobody's going to cry for me when I die, so I'm going to kill a bunch of people, so somebody's going to be crying. And, well, that way somebody will cry when I die. Beloved, we see this text this morning in Matthew, and we understand that the slaughter of the innocents is simply an attempt on Herod's part to maintain power. It doesn't matter what these mothers feel. It doesn't matter if the child that they are killing is the child that the mother has prayed for over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if the child is the spitting image of the child's father who has died and that is the last thing that the mother has to tie her to that man that she loved so much. It doesn't matter what these women think, feel, experience. It doesn't matter who they are. They are an impediment to Herod maintaining power. And their children must die. What is so amazing is that Herod exercises all of this power and he himself could have been flicked off the scene at any point by Rome. Rome could have decided we don't want you anymore and he's gone. He's an appointee. I mean, his power is through someone else. He hasn't even done anything to really gain it. And he's just holding on to it. But it's not about Herod alone. This, because it involves a throne, is a political decision. And sadly, it is not a singular historical instance. The Jeremiah quote about Rachel weeping for her children in Ramah is witness to that. Ramah is where the children of Israel were gathered before they were shipped off to Babylon in the captivity. It's where they gathered them all together in one place before they sent them far away to Babylon. And why is that the case? Why is that happening? It was a decision that was a political decision made by kings kings who decided that they wanted more power, kings that decided that they wanted to exercise their power. And it didn't matter what would happen to their subjects. It was only a matter of what they could have. Beloved, it continues right on through today. That is the nature of war. That is the nature of war. It's when one leader or one country decides that, they have some, that somebody else has something that they want or they want to make a point and they go and invade that other country. Doesn't matter that they're not on the front lines. It doesn't matter that, that mothers, sons, and daughters are going to die. 
It matters that they just send them out. And beloved, that's just wrong. And beloved, it's not simply pointed to that. The instance here of Herod exercising power shows up in other numerous places in our society today. It shows up in issues such as wage discrimination in which men make more than women. It shows up in educational opportunities. It shows up in criminal justice reform and health care access. The list goes on unless we think that the church is outside of this list. Beloved, the Southern Baptist Convention sex abuse scandal is men exercising power and trying to maintain power at the expense of others. I wish that wasn't the case, but it is. And it is neither just nor righteous, no matter how much it may be articulated as so. We are in the season of epiphany, a season that brings light and life. And beloved, my question for you this morning is, do you have the eyes to see the exercise of power for what it is? Do you see it as something that is bringing life or taking life? Do you see it for something that is bringing light or causing darkness? Do you see it for something that is saying, I'm trying to maintain what I've got? Or do you see it as folks just doing what they're going to do. It is difficult, beloved. It is a difficult position to be in to speak to these issues. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable even beginning to talk about them. But we must address it in our society. We must address it and call it for what it is or else we too will become perpetrators in this instance. So what can we do? How can we be empowered to pierce power? If power is going to pierce our lives, how can we pierce it back in such a way that it shrinks on its own? Well, first we must not discount anything because of the size of the sample. You may be interested to know that there is zero historical evidence that the instance of the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew 3 occurred. There's nothing in Josephus who records everything so wondrously. Luke, who can tell us what Mary sang and what Zachariah sang and everything you want to know about the birth of Jesus, does not include this at all in his writings. It is only here in Matthew. And some historians would ask, because it is so stand-alone and of itself, did it actually happen? They don't take into consideration the fact that it could have just been omitted from all these other places because it's so small. Bethlehem, beloved, isn't Burlington. Bethlehem, I'm not sure, is even Ossipee. Bethlehem is tiny. And tiny things get overlooked in our society. And so it is very possible that these mothers' children's death 
is just looked at smallly and forgotten. But beloved, it's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures. It made it in. And so it should be a sign to us that it matters to God. It might not matter to us because it is so small, but it matters to God. And if it matters to God, don't we believe that it should matter to us? Don't we believe that if there is injustice being worked on this group or that group, that we should be concerned about it, even if it doesn't come to us? That's how you begin to pierce power, is understand that there's no topic that's too small. But also understand that you must feel the pain of those who are being put under the boot of oppression. It's very easy to insulate ourselves in bubbles of ignorance and unknowing. The phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, right? If I don't see it happening, then therefore I don't have to acknowledge that it's happening. And if I don't have to acknowledge that it's happening, I don't have to feel the pain of it. But do you feel the pain of this text this morning? A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. This isn't a quietly crying mother. This is loud lamentation. I mean, this is that which will pierce your heart. And it says next that she is absolutely unconsolable. Have you ever delivered news to someone that left them unconsolable and left them screaming in their sorrow? If you have, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. If you've been there when it happened, you'll never forget it. It pierces to the heart of who you are. And beloved, just because an issue is not coming into our frame of view doesn't mean that it's not there, doesn't mean that the sorrow is not there, and doesn't mean that we should ignore it. Unfortunately, today we are bombarded with so much stuff in the news that there is a lack of empathy on our part. I'm reminded of a poem by Stephen Crane. Crane writes, A man said to the universe, Sir, I exist. However, replied the universe, that fact has, no, has not created in me a sense of obligation. Beloved, there's a lot of people that exist and it should move in our hearts some sense of obligation. We should have empathy to spur us on even if it doesn't ever impact our life. We should be moved on the plight of others to say, yes, I want to raise all ships. All ships. I want everyone's life to improve, not just mine. I found it very fascinating. I was reading a 
thing on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like her, hate her, I, I'm not getting into her politics. But I found it interesting that she got her start defending the rights of men because she understood that if she defended the rights of men, women would gain more rights. It's a fascinating thought process. Beloved, when we feel empathy for those who don't have, for those who are being oppressed, for those who are not giving, be, being allowed to have voice in this world, when we feel that, we improve everybody through our exercise of empathy. Now, for some of us to do that, it will require us to change our perspective. Remember, Epiphany is a season in which we are brought to sight. It allows us to see. This is why I find the, the, the text here absolutely fascinating. Rachel is weeping for her children. Rachel. It's not, though, a woman named Rachel. It's a plural. You see, throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, we will find the children of Israel named different things, right? We will find the children of Israel named Israel. We will find the children of Israel named Jacob. We will find the children of Israel and the prophets named Ephraim. We will find the children of Israel and the prophets named Joseph. But here in the prophet, we have Rachel. Rachel. Not a man's name this time, it's a mother's cry. Because Rachel was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. Ramah is in the tribe of Benjamin. That's where it's located in the geography of Israel. And so the concerted cries of the women are what's being given voice to here by the prophet. That's a whole different thought process, right? I'll go ahead and clue you in on next Sunday's sermon. Next Sunday's sermon is about this text. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's just one line. Now, beloved, just for a second. Do you ever think about the fact that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also the God of of Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. That's who's connected to all those three dudes. And, and, and if we don't think about their perspective in all that, we've missed half the story. We've missed half the story. I know why my wife did what she did a while ago. Because she knew that on the way home today, I would have said to her, I could have got her under that bench. And she said, Buddy Roe, I want you to understand the other side of the story. I want you to change your perspective before you even articulate it through your ignorance. Beloved, you and I want everyone to see what it is from our side. 
And we don't ever stop to put ourselves into the other person's shoes. Not once. Blessed are those who give mercy, Jesus said, for they shall receive mercy. Do you know what mercy means there? Literally, when you break it down into its, into its etymological parts, mercy means to put yourselves into the person's body so that you are looking through their eyes. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard when we say, but I'm right. It's hard when we say, but I'm righteous. It's hard when we say things like, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to change. It's hard when you say, well, this is how society's always been, why should we change it? It's hard. It's hard. I love going to Sustainable Alamance. I love going in there. Because you know what? In Sustainable Alamance, unless you've been in the room multiple times, you just think that everybody in there has a criminal record. Think about that. Nobody knows I'm the preacher until something is said. For all they know, I've got a rap sheet five pages long. And so they just talk like they're talking to a fella con. And you know what that means? I get into their eyes. I get into their eyes. Men, do you ever get into the eyes of a woman? And I don't mean you say, of course, I'm in my wife's eyes all the time. I'm just, no, 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 no. (laughs) Go ahead and pop that balloon, man. Your head's too big right now. Do you ever get into the eyes of a woman who knows that she's, in the, she's the smartest person in the room, but because everybody else in the room is anatomically different than she is, she has to defer to them. You ever get in the eyes of a woman who does more work and gets paid less? I won't even get into the subject of getting to the eyes of a woman who, who is uh, of a different race. That's a whole other perspective. Let's just deal with it on these terms. Mark, that's hard. I know. Trust me. I know. Do I do it all the time? No. Do I, do I even come close to do, achieving this? No. No. But beloved, just because I don't come close don't mean it needs not to be done. 
it needs, my perspective needs to change. When my perspective begins to change is when I say, you know what, I might be wrong. When I have the humility to say, I might be wrong. Let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says. That Christ who knew and was and did all humbled himself and took on the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, took on human clay and took the role of a servant. Beloved, how well do you see today? Oh, Mark, the issue is just too great. Yeah, I know. I know. We can't change everything all at once. Yeah, I know. Trust me, I know. You got to pick your battles. This text right here is couched in between a, a narrative. It's, it's a flight, exile, return narrative. Just before here, Jesus is taken to Egypt. Why? Because of the power of Herod. Herod dies after this passage. And what happens? Jesus is brought back to Israel. Why? Because he is ultimately going to be now in place to pierce the power. And to begin to set things right. Beloved, the time of the battle wasn't that the battle shouldn't happen. The time of the battle was it just needed to happen at the right time. And there should never be a time where we're not fighting for somebody's rights. Never a time where we shouldn't be thinking through someone else's perspective. We might not can change it immediately, but we can change it ultimately. It's just a question of if we choose to do so. And by the way, if we are going to be people who live in the model of Jesus... We have to understand that that's what he did all the time. All the time. And we have to understand that because Jesus changed his perspective. Mark, how did Jesus change his perspective? Easy, beloved. The scripture says that because he was one just like us, he knows how to make intercession for us. And so if we are resting in that fact that he's hearing our prayer and making intercession for us, because of his changed perspective, because he took on flesh, because he looked through our eyes, the eyes of the created instead of the eyes of the creator, then we know that if we do that, we're following him. And don't we all want to be little Jesuses so that the whole world hears his mercy is more. So that we end weeping and loud lamentation. That we are the ones who can console and we are the ones that can bring back. That ultimately we are the ones that are able to fulfill the next part in Jeremiah 
This is in Jeremiah 31. I would encourage you to go home and read Jeremiah 31 because you're going to come up on this verse and then the next verse is going to say, and by the way, the weeping will be controlled because I'm going to bring all these people back to home. But that was a fight for another day. Beloved, can you hear the weeping of those oppressed by power today? Can you hear it? Will you be deaf to it? Will you acknowledge it? through silence or will you be like Jesus let's pray Lord help us to understand that to praise the name of the Lord our God means that we give voice to the voiceless And we move, Lord, to bring hope to the hopeless. That we change our perspectives. That we do what you called us to do. Where we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, Grace about.